Okay. I purposely waited as long as I could to get started just because there are a lot of topics and a lot of dates and a lot of things that I'm going to be covering. And I'm like, if someone comes in 10 minutes into this, they're going to be like, what in the hell is he talking about? So I was like, I'm going to wait a little bit until like everyone is somewhat seated and gathered and we can kind of do what we need to do. Um, I have also included a post-it note and a pen on most of the chairs. Um, if there's not one with you, like there's probably one close to you. Um, the reason I included that is, like I said, there's going to be quite a bit of dates and topics and things like that. And you'll probably have questions going through your mind, and I want you to be able to write them down and still be able to focus on what I'm talking about. That way, like when we come into discussion, you have questions without being like, I was thinking about this the whole time. I missed everything else you said. So that's what the intention for that is. Um, and also, I'll just preface this with I... I'm not a historian, and so if you ask me questions about history, I might know the answer, but I might not. So um, we'll just, you know, kind of go from there, I guess. Um, I'm going to start off, though, with the definition of a term. Uh, so the term is linchpin. Um, a linchpin is what fastens the wheel to the axle so that the wheel doesn't fly off. Uh, figuratively, so the other spelling of it, linchpin, that is the, it's something that holds a complicated structure together. Um, as I have grown in my faith and started to think critically about my faith, um, I discovered some things that I took to be truths were not actually facts. Um, and so that caused me to uh, kind of question a lot of aspects of my faith. It felt like the linchpin of my faith had been removed. Um, and I think by removing it and testing it and really looking at it, I think that I now have a much sturdier linchpin in place and I feel much stronger about my faith than I ever did before. Um, so today as I'm kind of covering all these broad topics, um, it may, times, at times it may feel like I am testing your linchpin or I am taking your linchpin away from you. And my goal is that by the end of all of this, your linchpin is much stronger than when we started. So. Um, Going forward, I'm just going to pray because I feel like we have a lot to talk about. Um, so Jesus, I just ask that you would give me strength and wisdom and give me the right words to say to help communicate the truth. And I, I pray that you would bless everyone who hears it and that you would, that you would bless all of us and help us you know, see you more every day. So, like I said last week, today I'm going to talk about the history of Jesus Christ. So, no small topic. Um, and kind of in preparation for this, I had to do a lot of studying. Some of this information that I'm giving today, um, I already knew because I studied um, the Bible in college. So, I have, a, I have a minor in biblical studies. So, some of this stuff, like I remember from my coursework like 10 years ago, and some of it I'm like, I really don't remember what that is, and I had to like do some digging as to what it was. Um, so when we're talking about the history of Jesus, it's, it opens a very wide net because very few historians agree about anything to do with Jesus. Um, there are really, the three things that people generally agree with are that a physical person must have existed because how else would all of this history kind of come from that? And part of the reason they say that 
they think that he had to have existed as he couldn't have been made up because why would so many people like defend it to their death? Like how many people would defend a lie to their death? So that's like part of why we're like, okay, well something must have occurred that caused this whole religion to grow up out of that. Um, so generally most historians believe that an actual physical man, Jesus, existed. Um, they all agree that he was baptized by John the Baptist and all of them agree he was crucified. Those are about the three things that everyone agrees on. Everything outside of that is very, here we go, and we're going to jump into that. Um, <laughs> so the earliest um, mentions we have of Jesus are not in our canon. So they're not um, actually in our book of the Bible. The first one that I will be talking about is actually going to be uh, the Gospel of Thomas, and I'll kind of get to that in a little bit. Um, I put together two slides that kind of have the years and the history of things. Um, so hopefully that helps somewhat. Um, before we get into the different gospels that talk about Jesus, we're going to talk about kind of historically what was going on before Jesus arrived on the scene. So according to our Bible, um, the Old Testament kind of ends about 400 years before Jesus shows up. So, um, and that's just our version of the Bible because the, there are other versions of the Bible that contain what's called the Apocrypha and that kind of fills in the space between the, in that 400 years. But in our like tradition, it's called the 400 years of silence because we don't have God speaking through any prophets or anything like that. And in the year, somewhere in between, um, did it show up? Okay, so somewhere in between um, 3 and 6 CE is when Jesus is born. Um, when Jesus was born, he did not have the name Jesus. It was actually the name Yeshua. Um, so Yeshua is a common alternative form of another thing that kind of looks like Yeshua, but I don't know how to say it. Um, Yahshua is kind of what it looks like, which is usually translated to Joshua. Um, the reason that we call him Jesus is when most of the religion became part of the Roman Empire. The Roman version of Joshua basically is um, that first one there, it's Iosis, um, which then becomes Isis in Latin, which then becomes Jesus. So that's where we get the name Jesus. But in the time that Jesus was born, his name was not Jesus, it was Yeshua. That was, the, that was kind of how he arrived on the scene. Um, so... Yeshua was born in between 3 and 6 CE. And how do I get back to... Um, and there's kind of, in our, in our Bible, there's some stories about his childhood, but most of it focuses on his adulthood. And it kind of kicks off with his being baptized by John the Baptist, and that's kind of what starts his ministry. Um, and we believe that his ministry started between about 30 and 35 CE. Um, the time that Yeshua was in ministry was an apocalyptic time, uh, meaning that we've had these like 400 years of silence after all these prophets were saying, someone is coming onto the scene who's going to change things. And at the time that Jesus came onto the scene, there were a multitude of people claiming to be the scene changer. So there were multiple... Uh, what the term for it at the time was messiahs. So there were multiple messiahs. Um, they were called the sign prophets. Um, 
they basically were wandering people in the desert who would perform miracles and that would be their sign. That's why uh, a lot of times in the New Testament we hear people asking Jesus, give us a sign, give us a sign, give us a sign, and he's like, I'm not doing that. So, um, and the reason for that is he kind of separates himself from the sign prophets. Like he is there to give a message that is different than what the sign prophets are saying. So all of them are like, we're the Messiah, look at these miracles. And he's like, I'm not giving you a sign. But yet he's performing all these miracles. So he doesn't have like a trademark that like all the other sign prophets have. Um, in fact, he, preach, he preaches a very different message than the rest of the, the sign prophets because um, the, the Jews were under Roman, Roman rule. And so they thought that the person who was coming back was going to help free them from that bondage. And Jesus' message never really addresses the Roman rule. He kind of, they're always like, how do we do this? How do we get rid of that? And he's like, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Like he doesn't really attack the Romans, and so it's different than what they're perceiving. Instead, he focuses a lot more on, like, mercy teachings, and he draws a line in the sand, and he says, you know, he who is without sin, throw the first stone. He does things that are counteractive to the rest of the culture at the time. Um, he preaches love and mercy and is friends with the oppressed, the sinners, the, basically the scum of society. Um, it seems like the only people that he really opposes or has issues with are the incredibly wealthy and the religious leaders. Um, and his opposition to the religious leaders is ultimately what leads to his death in about 31 to 36 CE. Um, we're told all of this story through five gospels, the, the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Thomas. Um, I'm going to start with the gospel of Thomas because it's not actually included in our canon. Um, but it is potentially the oldest writing that we have about Jesus. It could be somewhere between 40 and 140 CE. Um, what the Gospel of Thomas is, is just a collection of the sayings of Jesus. There is no like, narrative to a story. There's no um, like, talk about like, his birth or really even his death or resurrection. It's none of that. It's just like a, um, it's like a collection of quotes and parables that Jesus would have said. And about half of them we have in our canon, and about the other half are unique to the Gospel of Thomas. Um, and that's really all I'm going to talk about the Gospel of Thomas. The only reason I included it is because it is potentially the oldest writing that we have about Jesus. Um, the Gospels that we have in our Bible are named after early saints, but it doesn't mean that they were actually written by those people. Um, it was really common at the time, if you were writing something that was in the train of thought of an individual, you named it after that individual. Um, so when we're talking about like Mark or Matthew or Luke or John, we don't actually know who wrote it. It's just attributed to them because it goes with their like line of thinking. Um, the first gospel that was written is not actually Matthew, it's actually Mark. So Mark is, is the first gospel. Um, and it's, it's actually the first of what is called the synoptic gospels. Um, and so synoptic, that comes from uh, Greek or Latin, meaning uh, synopsis, and that's seeing all together. So the reason that those three are grouped together is because all of their stories are very similar, all of their content kind of follows the same process, um, whereas John is kind of separate from the other three and was written later than the other three. Um, Mark was written in about 66 to 70 CE, uh, at the time the kind of the conflict between Jerusalem and Rome 
explodes in Jerusalem and there's a big war and the author is fleeing that war and kind of writes Mark. Um, and this takes place about 30 years after when we estimate Jesus died. Um, I kind of want to put that into contrast with like current events. Um, this April, it will have been 49 years since Martin Luther King Jr. was shot. And we are a society that reads and writes and keeps very accurate records. And already, he is kind of more myth than man. So the people who wrote the Gospels were alive when Jesus was around, but there's also a large gap of time. So some of it is how much mythology versus fact can we kind of conclude from them. Um, and I'm only saying that just to put it in the historical perspective. Um, the next synoptic gospels were written about 30 years after Mark was written. So that's about like a 60 year gap. Um, both Matthew and Luke borrow quite a bit from Mark. Um, if you, uh, I know this is weird. I had a diagram, but it didn't quite work. Um, if you like open up Google and type in Q source and go to like Google images, it'll kind of help explain the next thing I'm talking about. Um, so the gospel of Matthew and Luke borrow from Mark and what's called the Q source. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about that right now. So the Q source, Q means quell, which is German for source. So it literally means source. But um, with the idea behind the Q source, it's not a, the Q source is not a document, but it's like a collection of stories that is similar in both uh, Matthew and Luke, but separate from Mark. So what historians believe is that the Q source is essentially the oral tradition. So Mark is written, and then Matthew and Luke uh, kind of come on the scene about 30 years later, and they take what Mark wrote, and then they add the oral tradition, and then a little bit of their own spin on both of them. So if you look at kind of like the diagram of both of them, they both include Mark, and then what is called like the Q source, which is probably the oral tradition, and then a little bit of kind of their own side of the story. Um, the Gospel of John, which was then written in between, um, and I'm going to go back so you can kind of see the timeline. Sorry, I know this is like a lot of like dates and things. Um, the Gospel of John, which somehow I didn't put on the slide, was written um, around the same time as Matthew, so from 90 to 110 CE is when the Gospel of John was written. Uh, the Gospel of John is different than the Synoptic Gospels because it focuses much more on the... Um, kind of deity of Jesus. It's much more focused on Jesus at the beginning of the world. It starts with, you know, like the, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and that's kind of talking about Jesus. So John kind of focuses on a not much like fact or historical narrative, but much more like here's how Jesus fits into like our theology. Um, and that's the last gospel to be written. John is also the author of um, Revelation is attributed to him as well. Again, not the name John, it's just kind of there, but the, those two books are attributed to that author. And they're both actually very similar in style because they're very apocalyptic in nature and very deal with a lot of theology-related things. Um, I kind of want to go back to talking about Mark because it is the shortest and oldest of the Gospels. Um, and it is the least like its other three siblings. Um, Mark does not specifically call Jesus God um, or claim any prior existence. It doesn't talk at all about a virgin mother. 
Uh, it doesn't talk about a divine father. It kind of treats Jesus as if he had normal parentage. There's no, like, you know, virgin birth. None of that is in there. Um, and unlike the other Gospels, there's no taking Jesus and tracing his lineage back to either David or Adam. Um, in addition, the oldest documents we have of Mark, about the five oldest, do not include the same ending. Um, and it, it actually notates that in almost every Bible. It shows you that verses uh, 9 onwards of chapter 16 were added. Um, so kind of where the original document of Mark ends is with the empty tomb and with the, the women fleeing the tomb after they see that it's empty. Um, the last couple of verses of chapter 16 are added probably about 130 years later. Um, and from that point on, they're kind of included in every document that we have. But the first couple earliest versions of Mark don't include that. They also don't include um, the scene where Jesus dies and the Roman soldier says, surely this was the son of God. That was added around the same time as the last chunk of it. Um, early Christians uh, struggle for several hundred years with um, the nature of Jesus. Um, there's a lot of conflict as to like, is he all man? Is he all God? Like what is his nature to us and to our faith? But it doesn't seem to deter them from their faith. Like it, it's not like a, well, it's probably not real. Like it's not that kind of a situation. It's a, how do we agree about this? Because some schools of thought were like, no, he is a man. And some schools of thought are, no, he is only a God. And so there's this big conflict between the early Christian community as to how do we, how do we discuss God and how does you know, Jesus fit into this? Um, the slide that I just put up is going to be kind of the later half of Christianity that I'm talking about. So those first two ones on there, the Josephus and Tactus, those are the earliest uh, mentions of Jesus outside of the Bible. Again, neither of them refer to him as a deity. It's more just like a history of like there was this man that was then executed, and that's really all that either of them have to say about it. But those are the oldest ones. Um, back to kind of what I was talking about, the conflict of do we see God as a deity or as a man? Well, in uh, um, uh, 325 CE, uh, a council of the leaders of the churches uh, meet to discuss uh, and debate their beliefs. And the most important one that they're debating is we need to all be on the same page. Is Jesus the son of God? Is he a deity? Is he a man? What is that? Um, so in 325 CE, this group of bishops decide that Jesus is both 100% man and 100% God, which if that's not confusing, I don't know what is, but that's what the, the conclusion that we come to in 325 CE is that Jesus is both. He is both fully son of God, both fully son of man. Um, and then shortly after that, in 380 CE, that's when Emperor Constantinople, um, he, in an attempt to kind of unify all the conflict, he says, okay, that's it, Romans, we are now going to be Christians, and they adopt Christianity, and that's where we get the Yeshua to Jesus, that's where we get all of the saints, because they had, if you think about it, the Romans had thousands of deities, and now they're like, well, we have to replace them, so that's where kind of the saints come into the picture, that's why like the Roman Catholic Church has a lot of images of saints, because it's the oldest church, and it kind of shows that like transition to a new faith, so that's kind of where that comes from. Um, 
so Christianity kind of becomes the religion of most of the free world, and again, I mean, that's, it wasn't really the free world, the thinking world is when it becomes the, becomes the religion of that. Um, and all through that, there's still many debates as to kind of the canon of religious scriptures, like which things are we believing are correct about Jesus, which things are we not, which gospels are we gonna include, which ones are we not. Um, that debate kind of continues throughout all of history. Uh, Martin Luther comes along and says, I don't think this book should be in there. I think this one's a much better one. Uh, there's just kind of a continuous debate throughout history as to which of these scriptures we should include in our holy canon. And kind of the version that we read was finalized in 1611. Um, and that was the King James Version. Most of the other like Protestant translations we have of the Bible are pretty similar to King James Version. They include the same books, kind of the same trends of thought. Um, but our, our version of the Holy Scriptures is not the only one. Through the splits, we come up with the Protestant version. We've come up with the Catholic version. There's all kinds of different versions of what includes the Holy Scriptures. Um, and kind of towards the end of the 1800s is where the printing press becomes a really big deal and people start having their own copies of the Bible and have their own histories of Jesus. Um, and that kind of leads us to today where we all have our own kind of thing that we prescribe to, our own Bible that we can go home and read. And gone are the days, for the most part, where the Bible and Jesus and talking about it is a community aspect. It becomes much more individualized and personalized and much more... I take this as it's that, and you take that, and there's not as much of a like debate between society as far as like what things are, and that's not all the case. But in most communities, that's kind of the case: is you are you have your individual faith, and there's no community debate around it. Um, so I just unloaded like a ton of history on you, um, and the reason that I think it's really important to talk about all of this history is because it's important to know what we believe and why we believe it. Um, we live in a time where there are many groups of people that say, I am a Christian, and we as a group of Christians need to say, this is what that means to me. Like, here's where I come from, and here's what I believe, and here's where I'm going forward with it. And that's why I was like, it's really important to talk about the history because it's a really big part of where we come from. Um, at the very beginning, I talked about a linchpin. Um, the linchpin is what fastens the wheel to the axle. It's also, figuratively, it means something that holds a complicated structure together. We have to know what the linchpin of our faith is uh, because if we look at historically, it gets to be kind of a mess. Like there's a lot of, there's not like a unified vision on what the message of Jesus is or what the, like it's, it's, there's a lot of variety to it. And I think it's important that we as individuals and as a community know what our linchpin is. Um, and I'm gonna ask some questions right now that I am not saying that I don't believe these things. I'm just saying the outside world is going to ask you these questions and you need to know the answer to it. Um, like when the outside world says, you know, the concept of the virgin birth was not introduced until 100 years after Jesus was born, does that take away from your faith? Does that take away from the message of Jesus? Does that, how much of your linchpin does that remove? Because that's historically kind of where it's at. Um, 
again, I'm not saying that I don't believe in the virgin birth, but I'm saying if someone were to tell me Jesus was born a man, it wouldn't alter my faith. And I think that that's really important because we need to know we need to know what would alter our faith. We need to know what our limits are. We need to know this is what I believe, this is what I believe to be truth. And if you take this other part away from me, it's not going to change my it's not going to change my belief. Um, I think some people have a linchpin that is so thick that their wheel cannot move. There is no, it, it halts them from being productive, it halts them from spreading the message of God, it takes away from the, from the importance of what Jesus represents. Um, and that, I'm gonna talk about right now what my linchpin is. My linchpin is not, um, my linchpin is the overarching story of the message of Jesus. It's the concept that there is a power out there, a deity, an energy, whatever you want to call it, that saw that we were broken and wanted to fix the brokenness. It saw that we had a concept of, of it that was wrong and sent his son to tell us, here's how I actually am. And that son was rejected and died so that we could be one with that God. And that, to me, that overarching story, that is the linchpin of my faith. If you take away the virgin birth, that's fine. It doesn't change my faith. If you take away his resurrection, it's fine. It doesn't change my faith. Because the thing that is important is what that story represents. That story represents that God loved me enough and loved the world enough that he would die. And whether that was a fact, whether that was not a fact, it doesn't change my faith. Because that, that story has given me so much peace. It writes me in the eyes of God. It takes away my need for religion and my need for rules. It writes me with... <coughs> It writes me with the rest of humanity because if a God loves me enough that I'm important enough to die, then he loves you as much as he loves me. And he loves you as much as he loves me. And so whatever conflict I have with you is resolved because if that is good enough for him, it is good enough for me. And that is kind of the linchpin of, of my faith. Um, I kind of just unloaded a crap ton of things on you right now. And I think that... Um, I think it's really important to know what your linchpin is, and I think it's really important to know what you believe about Jesus, because there are a lot of voices out there, and you need to, you need to know yours, um, is really what it comes down to. I am really, really happy that we live in a community where it is okay to have questions, and it is okay to have doubts, and it is okay to wonder together, what does this mean? What is the significance of that? Um, and so instead of just launching us into discussion right now, um, we're going to have just a couple minutes of reflection where we can kind of think about everything that I just talked about. Um, and I purposely tailored the discussion questions today to kind of what I was talking about. So the question of what is your linchpin? What is the thing that holds your faith together? Um, the question of what did this message I brought today, what effect does that have on your faith? I hope it's a positive one. Um, but if it hinders your faith, I think that's important to know too. And then... Shelly and I were talking, and the Jesus that's presented at Bloom is wildly different than the Jesus that we grew up with, and that kind of affects our story as well. And so kind of also think about how has this historical Jesus been presented to you, and how has the theology of Jesus been presented to you, and kind of how does that affect your faith? Um, that's plenty to think about, so we're going to just be kind of silent for a little bit, and... I'm going to play some music that's hopefully not super loud. Um.
try to switch it to that. It's playing, but it's not on there. <coughs> Cheers. 